0: and see everyone today. I am just uh, just here. We had our, uh, our youth trip this past week. So those of you that went with us just got back last night. Um, we're not as cool as uh, Barry, and Le- Barry and Lev. <laughs> Where's Barry and Lev? There we go. Uh, Lev and Barry. <laughs> um, Larry and Bev. Yes. They got home at uh, 1 a.m. last night, um, so they've been out late. And uh, we had a great time in our youth vacation. Our, it wasn't really a vacation um, completely because we did some some uh, pretty strenuous things. If you've ever uh, seen our videos when we take the youth, we have them do you know cool things like hiking and, and cave uh, climbing. And then we seen the passion play, and what a blessing that was. Uh, it was a good time. We thank you if you if you helped out that with that in some capacity. Um, next week, I will not be here. My family is taking a vacation, so uh, your very own Ben Prasco will be providing the message next Sunday. So come and um, enjoy that. I, I believe that uh, he has a good message to bring before you, and I'm excited about him getting started in that. Also, thank you very much, um, Rochelle, for providing worship for us. That was um, great. Um, Youth Sunday, you know, it doesn't have to be the teenagers, it can be the little the little youth. That's great. So, um, let's pray and then we'll get started in the Word of God. Oh, dear Jesus, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be here today with us. God, guide us as we look through your Word, as we apply it to our lives. Lord, we thank you so much for the freedom to do so. Uh, guide us as we use what you are equipping us with to do your will. Amen. So we've been working through the book of Acts, in specific the missions that Paul is going on, taking the good news uh, to the community, and in Paul's situation in the first church, taking the good news to the whole world. And in our church, we are focusing on building community connections. So this is why we choose Acts to go through right now. Last week, uh, we discussed some pretty neat stuff of of Paul getting started. And and this week, we're going to be working out of Acts chapter 13, if you would like to turn turn to that in your Bibles. Um, It is now go time. We've been through the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, and he tells us now to go into the community and spread the good news, the good news of salvation through Jesus. And so we are now in go time. And in the new church, the first church, they are in go time. And we are about to see the church, the original church, explode throughout the world, just spread like crazy. So I have a few questions to start us off with. Have you ever bit off more than you can chew? You know what I mean? Like a lot of these sayings that we have, they have a a literal side to them. So if we just subtract everything else and go with the literal vision of this. Imagine being small And there's a delicious brownie on the table and you're young and you love brownies and so you take the biggest bite you can, right? If a little is good, a lot is better and the most you can fit in your mouth is the best until it's in there. And you've bit off more than you can chew. And now, at this point, you shoved your mouth full, you realize you can't chew. And you can't swallow because then you would choke and you can't even hardly spit it out because it's folded inside of your cheeks. You've just got to suck on it a while and get it wet and then hope something happens. Bitten off more than you can chew. You realize that what you've bitten off, the brownie that you stuck in your mouth is no longer enjoyable. You can't do anything with it. It's not serving the purpose for which you thought it was. Now I'm reminded of Genesis chapter 3. This is where the old serpent, the evil one, the devil comes and he tempts our man Adam and Eve. Did God really say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree, of any of the trees in the garden? The serpent says to Eve he says of course we may eat fruit of the trees in the garden it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle that we cannot eat if we eat of that one we will die Satan says you won't die and what happens he convinces the woman to go ahead and eat the fruit but at this point uh, God comes and he speaks to the serpent Right after this, he says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He says, serpent, devil, you will strike the offspring of this woman's heel, but he will strike your head. Now, tell me this, which delivers the death blow? You can be bitten on the heel. That's fine. But when we're talking about an attack to the head, this is serious. This is death causing. This is the difference here. This, I believe, is the point when the devil realizes he has bit off more than he can chew. And maybe he doesn't realize that, but we know the whole story. We have the whole word of God, and we realize that he has indeed bitten off more than he can chew. He has picked on God's children. Now, if you can't, uh, can't think about ever biting off more than you can chew, maybe you've never done that, uh, try this one. Have you ever got a hold of a cat by the tail? And, you know, again, we could uh, think of all types of situations where that might apply, but no, literally, have you ever held a cat by the tail? And I'm not talking about the cat that you have running around in your house, like the sweet one that loves to be picked up and petted. I'm talking about your, your random feral cat around the barnyard that you don't get close to because it won't allow you to. Now, I don't know if you've uh, ever done that, but uh, sometimes these uh, things, these sayings, they they come more literally to me, and I I don't know why. Uh, So just imagine yourself. You have small kids. They want a a cat. And you say, no, we don't want any cats. We're not going to have any cats. And then someday they see a cat. And it's in the yard. They see it at the distance, and it's not theirs, but it wandered on the property. And they run after it, and it runs and hides. But it hides in something like a piece of 8-inch PVC pipe. And they've got it trapped. And they run in, and they say, Hey, Dad, we've got ourselves a cat. Now, you can't turn us down. It's already on our property. We have a pet. And so the dad comes out there, right? And he finds that in in his uh, random yard ornament um, in the junk pile, there is indeed a cat. And this is just the right size for your your, uh, feral cat to get stuck in, right? Now, it's easy to get to this cat. His tail is sticking out. A person can reach right down in here and get a hold of a cat by the tail. And then you pull. You get the idea that uh, when the claws are clawing and he starts to hiss and growl, it's not such a good idea, but still your kids really want to see this cat and you've got him. He can't get you right now. So you've got him by the tail and you start pulling him and pulling him and pulling him. you feel like the hero until... And as soon as this cat comes out, you have him by the tail for exactly one-tenth of a second longer. In that tenth of a second, a lot happens. Claws come out, and your grip on the cat's tail no longer exists. You might be cut and chewed and teeth and, and, and screaming from the cat and you and the kid's. You had the cat by the tail. Which brings me to Luke chapter twenty three, verse forty four. Jesus has been put up on the cross, and he knows what is going to happen to him, and this is God's plan. Satan is probably hiding somewhere, watching with a little grin, thinking that he has the cat by the tail. He has got the cat here, and he has been pulling, working on humanity since Adam and Eve until Jesus, and working on them, and pulling this this cat, and he thinks he's got him until... By this time, it was noon, and darkness fell across the whole land. Until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone. And suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. Out comes the cat. No longer does Satan have the cat by his tail. Out comes the claws that sever the chains of sin that hold you and I to the grave. Out comes the strength that the devil didn't see in the first place. And after that tenth of a second, Jesus has battled Satan and has won victory over us, over the the devil for us. Now, maybe you've never actually had a hold of a cat by the tail, but maybe uh, you can relate to the first time you mowed your own lawn. You just got a house, and you got yourself a lawnmower, and, and you're young, and so you don't know how weeds work and dandelions work, and Again, maybe I'm the only one that's this naive at first, but after a rain, the dandelions send these shoots up and they have big uh, fluffy things on the top of them. And in my yard there just seemed to be a bunch of them right after it rained. What are we going to do with all of these dandelions? I got an idea. I'll fire up my lawnmower and whack them all down while they're up tall. And if I do that enough, then we'll take care of all the dandelions. You knock them down, and they're gone, right? Everybody knows now that if you mow those things down, when they're fluffy, you have got them too late. And the next uh, few weeks or months, all of a sudden, your whole yard is yellow. Because the dandelions have been spread like crazy and planted everywhere. Acts chapter 11 Verse 19, we see the dandelions spreading. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to the Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene begin teaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. Just like the dandelions, boy, after Stephen, had had been stoned to death, the Pharisees and the folks against the, the followers of Jesus thought, well, we have got them now. We're knocking them down. We're making examples. We'll take care of this problem. Unfortunately for them, what they didn't know is when you persecute God's people, when you start putting the pressure on God's people, they spread. And it isn't kind of spreading that... uh, makes us just hide and go seek refuge. But when a Christian spreads to a place, the light gets carried with them. Now, I love to preach about the devil choking because he picked on God's children. And I love to talk about how the devil thought he had Jesus by the tail. But what I really love to preach on is when Jesus' followers pushed through the hard times, the persecution, and when they show the rest of the world the freedom that comes with putting your faith in Him. And that's you guys. You guys are the followers that when the hard times come, you show the rest of the world the freedom. So here we are in Acts. Over the chapters 11 and 12 and 13, we see some pretty neat stuff happening about the spreading of the new church, the church of Jesus. And I'm going to give you an overview of what's going on in this first church as they spread into their community and make connections. Now we see Stephen was killed. Uh, He was stoned to death. And the believers at this point were scattered because of it. It makes sense, right? Someone is killed and and you're up next because you believe in Jesus. You you would want to uh, get out of that location perhaps. And again, I don't think that this at all is them disbanding or giving up. They're spreading out. Verse 21 shows us that uh, many more, a great number, turned to the Lord. Turn to the Lord, the number of them grew. And in verse 22 says, "When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas and to Antioch. When they arrived and saw the evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to say true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. Evidence. Evidence. When Barnabas Barnabas arrived, by the way, he he was a good man. This is a solid man. An encouraging man. And he seen evidence of God's blessing. This is the persecuted church. This is after Stephen had died and they had scattered. But Barnabas comes and he sees God's blessing how do you see blessing when something bad happens? Barnabas does. And boy, he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Not only did he see blessing, but he says, look, you guys need to keep this up. Keep spreading this good word of freedom through Jesus even though you're being attacked. And then, uh, a little bit later, we see K- King Herod Agrippa. Uh, he, he kills James and threw Peter into prison, so the bad continues against the Christians. And I think, I think at this point, King Herod is starting to realize that he has bitten off, in fact, more than he can chew. That he has got the cat by the tail and he's almost to get it out to where he can no longer hold on because uh, this verse... In Acts tells us, um, chapter twelve, verse four and five says that then uh, he imprisoned him. This is this is uh, Peter, right after he killed James. Herod imprisoned Peter, placing him under guards, a guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial the Passover, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. Why would King Herod put four squads, four people, four four soldiers in charge of one man? I mean, evidently, Herod's starting to get a clue of what's going on here. He realizes there's more to this Jesus than what he originally thought. Four squads of four soldiers don't mean anything to God. They thought they had Peter by the tail. They had him in prison. And then the angel of the Lord, he, he comes and he sets Peter free. The angel comes right into the prison, takes the chains, makes them disappear or break or whatever, and Peter is now free because the soldiers, the squads, the constraints of the world don't mean anything to God. When He has something to do, He will do it no matter what. Now, Herod isn't happy about this. Uh, so, in Acts chapter 12, verse 21, um, Herod says, uh, he put on, Herod put on his royal robes and he sat on his throne and made a speech to them. The people gave him a great ovation, shouting, It is the voice of a god, not a man. Instantly, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving glory to God. So he was consumed with worms and died. Instantly. Instantly. He accepted the praise of being a god. King Herod did. And then he was struck dead. Worms. Ah. This is the end for Herod. The last thing. But in Acts chapter 12, uh, verse 24 and 25 says, Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread. And there were so many, there were many new believers when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they returned taking John Mark with them. The end for Herod, but but not not the word of God, not the followers of Jesus. They continue. Now even though even though the church is scattered, they are still organized together. They have been spread out, but they are still in a unit, knowing what one and the other is doing, still pushing and working towards the work of Jesus. Acts chapter 13, verse 1, says, Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch in Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lu, Lucius Lucius from Cyrene Manian, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas and Saul one day as these men were worshipping the Lord and fasting the Holy Spirit said dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special <clears throat> special work to which I have called them so after more fasting and prayer the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. We see five leaders in this text, and it's worth noting that Dr. Luke here, that writ, wrote the book of Acts, uh, likes to distinguish his folks. He likes to give details about the people he writes about. And this is a very good thing for us. Barnabas and Paul, or Saul, we've already been introduced to. Luke has already told us about Paul and Barnabas, uh, uh, about who they are and what they are and given given other names. But these other three, he hasn't. And that's why in, in this point in this book we see the other three with describing factors here. Uh, Simeon. Simeon. Uh, he said he was called the black man. Now this wasn't to distinguish his race. I mean... Why would that be the case? God only made a one race of people, and that race is made in His image. Probably wasn't any, any white folk in the Bible anyway. I mean, I don't know. They were probably all, all darker colored. The, the, the detail of that doesn't make a difference. It doesn't matter because we are all made in the image of God. And we've, if we all put our faith in Him, then we are His children. And this word is the same to every single one of us. Lucius and Minion, they also have describing factors here. Lucius was from Cyrene. It's likely that uh, Simeon was from Cyrene as well because he comes preceding to Lucius. And then Minion, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas. Now this isn't the same King Herod that we were talking about just a moment ago who had died. This was likely his father. So we have these five people here. There's a good variety of men leading the church. So Luke names five of them and states that the Holy Spirit is to send two of them out on strategic missions. Strategic missions, and he chooses the two out that he thinks will fit this kind of a mission. Question, what is your role in the body of Christ today, in this body of believers? What is your role? Are you to lead here in this church? Are you to uh, go out and carry the Word of God and make disciples in the community, are you to raise up leaders as 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 your children or as uh, as as young people to raise them up? Whatever God has called you to, I believe He wants to do it. He wants you to do it strategically and tactically. So, here are three tactics we can learn from Paul and Barnabas as they begin their first mission. Number one, start training someone. We see Paul and Barnabas take John Mark. John Mark is going with them. Verses 4 through 5, so Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then they sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. John Mark was uh, uh, likely younger, not, uh, not super ready for this task. Uh, a little bit later on, we see that uh, John Mark had uh, uh, leaves them. Maybe he got overwhelmed or scared or, or missed home too much. So uh, John Mark wasn't exactly ready but they took him and they worked with him and they 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 uh, used him as an assistant so he could get some experience it's been said but if you want to learn something teach it if you want to get better at something start training someone else how to do it then you often realize well I don't know why I do that I'm telling this other person how to do it, and they ask me why do you do it that way. I'm not sure. Maybe I need to figure out why I do it that way. And it helps us to hone our our uh, our, our ways of doing things, our methods. It, it makes you have to learn more about what you do, and then you're passing on that information to someone else, that experience, that wisdom, and specifically, you folks that don't have young kids anymore. I don't want you to hang your hat up and decide, well, I've done raised my kids, now it's time to kick back. It's more like now you have a little bit of extra time and energy, maybe. I don't know, I'm not there, so you can tell me I'm wrong after church. But now you have this extra wisdom that you've gained through the years, and now it's time to share that with other folks share that with someone younger take someone along with you again we had great uh, great youth sponsors with us that that come when we when we take the youth out and i'm so grateful to them when we study the word of god here in church larry does an excellent job at, at sunday school and um I, every message that I prepare, I, there's so much that I, want to, that I want to say about the specifics and the details and the amazingness of God's Word, but I don't have time. And I have to cut out most of what I want because I, don't, I can't figure out how to fit it in and I wouldn't have time anyway. This is to say that we should be learning and teaching on our own, each individually. There is too much good, good, powerful goodness in this book for us to just learn once a week. Let's dive into it, learn from it, and then teach it to others. Find yourself a John Mark. And number two, in this scripture, we see Paul and Barnabas removing the roadblocks. Verses 6 through 11. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he looked the sorcerer in the eye and then he said, You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud and enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now. For the Lord has laid His hand of punishment upon you and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and to lead him. Remove the roadblocks. This sorcerer, the, the verse says, had attached himself to Sergius the governor. I, th- I think of that, had attached himself to. Sounds an awful lot like a tick, you know? Had attached himself to. Uh, I don't know if the governor had asked him. The governor sounds like was just going on about his business. All of a sudden this fellow shows up and wants to, to uh, get something from that position and wants to influence that position and attached himself. And look, Barnabas and Paul came into the situation not knowing what was going to happen. They were carrying the word of Jesus to wherever they went on this strategic, tactical mission. And they came upon the governor, the sorcerer. And, you know, it didn't matter who Paul and Barnabas were talking to. Whenever they came across the devil, they stood up to him. And in this situation, when they stood up to the sorcerer that tried to keep them from the governor, they prayed, I'm sure, and God struck the fella blind. Boom. No more roadblock. Actually, they turned this roadblock. God working through them turned this roadblock into a method of ministering to the governor, it shouldn't matter to us who we tell Jesus about. it should it should matter to us if the sorcerer tries to stand in our way though. Now, I want you to think about uh, when when Peter uh, when Herod thought he had Peter by the tail, remember, you had Peter in prison in chains. And there was, there was four squads of, of four soldiers against uh, one man, right? One man, Peter, against these soldiers. They were keeping him in jail. Well, that's actually not the case at all. Peter wasn't just one man. Peter was in the business of doing God's work. So, Peter had something backing him up, and that's why he wasn't stuck in that prison forever. That's why he did not die there. But he had more to do, he had more to preach, more of God's work. And so, the four squads and the four soldiers didn't make any difference to him. You ever feel like you're up against something like. You're four squads of soldiers. Like it seems impossible. Or maybe like you're stuck in a tube and something's got you by the tail and you can't turn around and get to it because just pulling you out and there's nothing you can do. I think that's often how we feel. We feel like we're in that position. man. I'm done now. But you know what? The cat is already out of the tomb. Jesus has already won the victory for us. Now it's our job to live out that victory and prepare our folks here on this earth for when Jesus comes back again and completes it all, wraps it all up. So Paul, you know, Think about when he was blinded uh, in his conversion. We talked about that uh, last week. Um, when God got a hold of Paul, he, he blinded him. And, and Paul, uh, Paul you know, was on the ground, and then he had to have someone lead him. And this makes me think of w- w- when the sorcerer was blind. And, and we're not sure if the sorcerer uh, became a believer after this or not. The Scripture does not say anything about that at all. And I, I hope that he did. But we don't know about the sorcerer, but what we do know is that it made a believer out of Sergius, the the governor. And I'll bet that didn't surprise Barnabas and Paul because they expected God to work. They had been in the situation of seeing Jesus do miracles, experiencing that, I bet they expected, and this is our third point today: is to expect God to work. Acts chapter thirteen, verse twelve says, "When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord." Expect Him to work in crazy and impossible situations. Expect Him to work when you have no idea what is happening. How did Paul and Barnabas uh, meet the governor, uh, Sergius, and the sorcerer? I don't know. He was going to that land and somehow he met up with them. And they did God's work. If they were to think too much about it on their own, like take it in their own mind, uh, boy, should we do this or not, uh, they might start thinking, worrying about what things were going to happen. I mean, they just struck what could have been the governor's main man blind? Or a bad deal. Now it turns out it, it, it wasn't, uh, because the governor, seen the power of the situation, and put his faith in Jesus. They did what God had led them to do, and they expected God to do His work. They had seen and experienced it before, and this probably didn't surprise them, although it probably did amaze them. We must expect God to do His work. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Sometimes we expect God to work in one way and He works in a different way. I'm reminded of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. This is where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the furnace. And prior to being thrown into the furnace, um, they say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if He doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, Your Majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. They realized that they could easily die in this situation. And they realized that God could do His work and with God's mighty power, He could keep them from burning, could keep them alive. They had faith that He could do that and even if He didn't, it was okay with them because they knew who their God was and they were going to worship Him and only Him. Folks, listen. Sometimes we come up against the roadblocks, come up against the, the enemy, and we are left with an ultimatum. Look, you do this. honor. You can honor God or you can do this. And we think, boy, mm, if I choose to 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 say the wrong thing or the right thing, whatever, you know, maybe God will not work for me if I stick myself out there in a position to do His work. Maybe God won't come through with what I want Him to. But if we're praying, if we're working God's will, then even if He doesn't do it the way we think He needs to do it, even if it's going to be okay, we know where our final place will be, right? We know where our end result is, and that's to be with God in a perfect, wonderful place. God saved these three fellas in the book of Daniel from death that day. And if he didn't, they were okay with that. You can expect the God, the God of Abraham to work. Even if he doesn't do it the way you think he would, it's still good. So, last thing, what happens when we make it a goal to train a younger person in the ways of being a follower of Jesus, in the ways of of telling others about the good news? What happens when we wipe out the roadblocks that get in the way of the freedom through Jesus that he offers? What happens when we expect God to work through us according to His will? I'll tell you what happens. The church spreads. The darkness is lit up. The chains of sins are broken and God's will is done through us. I pray that you are ready to use these tactics. I pray that if you haven't taken that step, saying, I'm going to work for you, God. I understand your powerful goodness, your grace and mercy, and I'm ready to show that to others. If you're ready to do that, then I pray that you will take that step today and make that commitment. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank You so much for Your people here. God, I ask You to come now and to fill our hearts, to fill our souls with courage and with wisdom, Lord. We might spread Your love throughout our community. Let us do this with service. Let us do this with wisdom that only comes from You. I thank You, Jesus, for the opportunity to glorify You today. Amen.